For the week of Wednesday, January 30th, 2019, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello. This week, we talk with one of the founders of the youth-led climate advocacy group, the Sunrise Movement, about how they're working very effectively to impact the narrative around climate change. Much of the work they're doing is a nationwide coordinated effort aimed at our lawmakers. We really want to go all across the country where these politicians are to hold their feet to the fire wherever they go, to make it clear to them that if they want to be taken seriously by our generation, they need to back a Green New Deal and stop taking money from the people who are lobbying against our futures. Then, in the wake of former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz declaring his intention to run for president as an independent, a move that could potentially peel off enough Democratic votes to hand the White House back to Donald Trump, there's going to be a rally on Thursday in Seattle to protest Schultz during his appearance at the Moore Theater as part of his book promotion tour. And we'll hear all about that. That's coming up, so stay with us. Less than 12 years. That is the time frame that a consensus of climate scientists believe that we have to halt the catastrophic, irreversible effects of climate change. And while many lawmakers have been advocating gradual measures to address the issue, if they want to address it at all, a number of young people in this country, uh, the ones who are going to have to live with the effects of climate change, are getting fed up. And they are saying enough. In 2015, a group of teenagers filed suit against the federal government for failing to take action on climate change. And in 2017, the Sunrise Movement was born. Sunrise is an organization aimed at mobilizing a grassroots army of young people across the country to combat climate change in various ways. Stephen O'Hanlon is a co-founder and communications director of Sunrise Movement, and he joins us now. Hi, Stephen. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course, man. So, you know, um, most people first heard about your group directly after the midterm uh, when 150 members occupied the office of Nancy Pelosi to demand action on the Green New Deal. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez actually paid a very well-publicized visit to your occupation. Uh, How did the idea come about to occupy Pelosi's office? Yeah, so we, uh, throughout the whole summer and fall, we were running this program called Sunrise Semester, where 75 young people were uh, serving as full-time volunteer organizers to get young people out to vote and to elect progressives who were rejecting fossil fuel money and backing pro- programs like a Green New Deal. And as that was happening, as we were in the final stretch before the election, we were seeing these articles and statements from Nancy Pelosi and other Democratic leaders saying that that, that climate change wasn't going to be a top priority in the incoming Congress. Um, there were articles that were titled Dems Damp Down Hopes on Action on Climate Change. And that was really frustrating to us. We were working really hard to get young people motivated to, to get out and vote, and that's a hard job. Young people have seen politicians of both parties fail to uh, take the kind of action that they need, and a lot of young people feel like their vote doesn't matter, yeah. um, and that that you know politics is broken. And for Democratic leaders to say they weren't going to be tackling one of the most important issues to young people made our, made our jobs a lot harder, and was was just deeply disappointing. So we following the election. Um, knew there was an opportunity for us to help to shape the agenda for, for the Democrats as they as they took control of the House. And uh, Nancy Pelosi was uh, and is, is a really critical part of making that happen. So we wanted to put pressure on her and, and put her in the spotlight. 
And so were you one of the people who was actually there occupying the office? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What was it? Just give me a sense of what it was like there. I mean, was it was it tense? What was sort of going through your mind as you were in her office? Well, uh, we were spilling out way out of the office. So there were 200 of us, about 50 people fit into the office. Um, yeah, I've seen the videos. You guys were really spread out all the way down the hallways. Yeah. So I, I was I was outside um, because I, I was I was doing press work. But, uh, the, you know, it was. It, it, there was there was this uh, a, a, te- a tense atmosphere at the beginning, um, and then it really transitioned. We were singing, uh, people were leading, uh, were leading songs. Uh, people were sharing really powerful stories about how they and their communities have been impacted by climate change. And it was we were sitting in as the wildfires were were nearing their peak in California, and uh, obviously Nancy Pelosi also is. is from California, and right. we had you know, people from California speaking and, and calling on Nancy Pelosi to stand up for, for them and their communities. Well, it really did put the issue on a map in a, in a very effective way. Um, and I, I want to sort of talk about how Sunrise got started uh, because it really has turned into a, a very effective political force. Um, as I said in the intro, you're one of the co founders. So talk just a little bit about how and why the group got started. Yeah. So at baseline, Sunrise began because those of us who, who, who came together to start Sunrise and so many of the other young people around us had seen our political leaders utterly failing us. Some of them take millions of dollars in bribes from fossil fuel CEOs and deny the climate science like uh, our president. Um, and others don't seem to have the courage to stand up for the solutions we need to uh, preserve life as we know it for our generation. Yeah. And we saw that we needed to build a movement that was ready to really relentlessly demand politicians fight for what we need and not just settle for what pundits say is politically possible, and that we needed to elect new leaders who represent our generation. So uh, a number of us had been involved in uh, in previous efforts uh, around getting colleges and universities to divest from fossil fuel companies to get uh, – to, to, to push forward state or, or federal or international climate policy. Uh, and we all have this same, same sense that we need to be growing our movement um, in, in a much bigger way than we had before. And that we also need to, to take uh, electoral politics more seriously and really uh, engage in that arena. Yeah. And this is something that, as you said, has been formed by uh, people who are, are very young. I'll just ask you, how old are you? Uh, I'm 23. You're 23, so you're just uh, out of college. I believe you went to Swarthmore College, and mm-hmm. um, you have talked about how that was where you had uh, a little bit of an epiphany about climate change. You said that when you were younger that you used to be a climate change denier. Uh, so w- what was the moment? Talk about the moment where that changed for you. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, growing up, I I was uh... – <laughs> Yeah, I was a climate denier uh, in middle school. You, you, I, you seem like it's a point of shame. I'm sorry for bringing that up. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I think it's yeah, it's an important it's an important thing to talk about. Um, yeah, you know, I was uh, I, I sort of read the articles that that I feel like a lot of my friends now laugh at, where they say how carbon um, it's like a million years ago, carbon levels in the atmosphere were higher than they than they. Uh, than they are today, so 
there's no problem with the level of carbon in the atmosphere or like it times have been warmer you know the kinds of things that 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 people like Donald Trump say um and I I really yeah I I believe some of that stuff and I you know people where I grew up I grew up outside of Philadelphia by the Philadelphia airport and grew up in a town that uh, at that time voted for Democrats a lot of the time um it voted for Donald Trump in 2016 uh and is sort of like a a white working class town um that, that has been covered a lot since, since Trump's election. And uh, quite, you know, honestly, climate change wasn't something that was on a lot of people's radars. People were thinking about jobs, healthcare, the schools that were, that were failing us, um, you know, issues with, with drugs. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I wasn't uh, growing up. I did, climate change was something that, that I thought about a little bit, but mostly thought of as something about the polar bears and uh, you know a future a future challenge and it wasn't uh in high school i took it took some took some science classes and realized that yes climate change is a is a, is a problem um but it, again it didn't feel super serious until until i got to college and then you had a very specific experience where you went to uh you went on a trip to west virginia and saw where they were mountain topping they, they were they were topping mm-hmm. uh uh, mountains to get coal, and you saw some of the effects of that, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I you know, I, I joined a bunch of different clubs my my first semester of college, and one of them was this environmental club, and they were taking a trip to West Virginia and seeing impacts of mountaintop of coal mining, which is where they literally blast hundreds of feet off of the tops of the mountains to expose a thin seam of coal that's sometimes only a couple inches thick. And the debris goes down into the valleys below, pollutes the water and the air. And we met people who were not that much older than me who uh, were had cancer or, or lung diseases or other uh, often terminal illnesses uh, be- just because of where they lived and because these companies were able to, to get around the rules uh, and, and, and bribe politicians so that they could... Um, try and make as much money as they could. Uh, and that really hit home for me because uh, a year and a half before that, my older sister had died of cancer. Mm. And I saw a lot of, of my family and the families that were that were struggling with the pain and sadness of, of having to see someone pass um, and, and leave their lives way before their, their time. And I felt really angry that you know, that political leaders were letting these these billionaires get off the hook with, with poisoning these these, these families, um, these these children, these parents. Yeah, I'm 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 sorry about uh, your experience with your sister. That must have been enormously hard. Um, you know, I just want to circle back to something that you mentioned, uh, which was a big narrative post-2016, and that was you're from an area where you say uh, it's a working-class area that has voted Democrat but went for Trump. And I'm wondering, do you see a, a sort of maybe a personal mission to talk with people from where you come from to, to talk about the issue of climate change and to to kind of get people on board with what's really happening? Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who, who are like I was growing up, who are 
honestly just a little bit confused politically. You have a mishmash of, of political views and are, you know, reading these things on the internet uh, and uh, are people that we can reach. And I think especially with the, the Green New Deal, we have an opportunity to reframe how we're talking about climate change. Uh, a big part of the, the Green New Deal vision is a jobs guarantee program to offer any American who wants to take part in transforming our economy and improving our society, a good job that can provide for their family. And that's something that uh, a lot of people can get behind. And, and I think speaks to the, the pain and, and, and struggles of working class people of all races who are struggling to get, to get by and are seeing their wages stagnate as the cost of living rises and as the, the, the wealthiest in our country are, are making record profits. Yeah. Yeah. And I do actually want to get I want to dig down into the Green New Deal in just a second. But I I would like to give people an idea of how Sunrise works. I know that you work to influence lawmakers uh, and you were actually successful in ousting some members of Congress in 2018 who were funded by fossil fuel interests. So just talk briefly about how Sunrise does its work to influence lawmakers. Right. So we uh, like I mentioned, we talk about we need to be building people power which is just organized people, people who are ready to get out there and demand their politicians, uh, you know, take, take stands against uh, fossil fuel billionaires and, and stand up for our futures. And then we also need to build political power. So we need to actually change who's in office because uh, as we saw so much in, in, 2016, in 2017 and 2018, some politicians are just not, no matter how much pressure we put on them, are not going to... Uh, to just to stand with us and are going to continue right. siding with their, their corporate donors. So we are trying to combine both of those strategies and we're, we have hubs across the country, which is what we call, uh, which is our name for, for chapters. And um, I will mention actually that there are, uh, I believe four here in Washington state, and I will provide a link on uh, indivisiblepodcast.org for people to, to check that out. Yeah. Cause they're, as you say, they're, they're located all over the country. Yeah. And they're, and the, our movement across the country is a volunteer led movement. We have a, a small staff, um, that support volunteers across the country, but it, what makes this movement work is, is people who are giving a few hours, maybe uh, of their time every week to be getting out there in their communities and talking with people um, and, and, and pressuring their, their, their members of Congress and, and other representatives to, to, to back a Green New Deal, reject fossil fuel money, and, and stand up. Stand up for our futures. And Talk a little bit about what that pressure looks like. Are you talking about office visits, phone calls? Do you mm-hmm. uh, go and, and visit them at town halls, that sort of thing? Yeah, all, all of the above. So we have uh, last last November and December when we were pushing to build support for, for the select committee on a Green New Deal that Ocasio-Cortez had, had introduced and yeah. that we eventually got 45 members of the House to, to back, which was really, really that's incredible. Yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we were we had the the, the sit in that you mentioned at Nancy Pelosi's office in November, and then we had hundreds of office visits happening across the country um, at different congressional offices. Uh, people were making tens of thousands of people made phone calls, sent emails, tweeted at politicians, uh, and then we showed up again in December uh, in Washington D.C. This time with a uh, thousand people instead of just 150. 
Uh, and so your numbers are growing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And and we uh, so in the past as well, we've we've been showing up at town halls, and uh, we really want to go all across the country where these politicians are to hold their feet to the fire wherever yeah. they go, whether it's a campaign rally or a town hall, to make it clear to them that if they want to be taken seriously by our generation, they need to back a Green New Deal and, and, and stop taking money from the people who are uh, lobbying against our futures. Well, so one of the things that you're actually planning on doing as an action is you're, pl- you're planning what you're billing as the largest popular demonstration ever uh, for the presidential primary debates in D.C. And uh, you want climate and the Green New Deal to be the top issues that get discussed in the 2020 election. And I'm, I'm curious how you move that above issues like, say, health care, which was the Democrats' number one issue in the midterms. How do you plan on shifting the conversation? Yeah, well, I think we've already already done a lot of work on that. Um, and Nancy Pelosi, when in her speech opening the new Congress, was uh, talking about how climate change was one of the most urgent crises that we face. And that's, yeah, her language really did change, and I think that it did have something to do with your uh, your office occupation for sure. Yeah, and Chuck Schumer is now saying that he won't pass an infrastructure bill if it doesn't take on climate change. So we've seen our movement uh, really put this on the radar of politicians and, and the public. And I think also that we can't underestimate the impact that the IPCC report had from the UN last year that, uh, as you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we've talked about how we had 12 years to stop climate change. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also the wildfires and hurricanes that now... That, that, that has devastated huge parts of the country, burned down entire towns in California. Uh, people are seeing in their everyday lives how climate change is here and now, and they're demanding that politicians take action. Uh, so we're going to keep, uh, yeah, keep putting the pressure on them um, and making it clear to them that this is a, an urgent issue for, for voters as, and that any candidate who wants the votes of young people and the votes of people concerned about climate change uh, need to need to really start talking about this. Well, it's actually very encouraging. Uh, a recent Yale University and George Mason University poll came out, and uh, 69% of Americans are now, quote, somewhat worried about climate change, and mm-hmm. 29% are very worried. Um, that's the highest those numbers have ever been, and the, the very worried jumped up 8% from a year ago. So it does seem like the conversation is shifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And awareness yeah. is shifting. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, Sunrise endorsed a number of candidates in 2018, uh, the majority of whom actually won. So you do have uh, a, a good track record and some clout. Um, a number of presidential candidates, Democratic presidential candidates, have already endorsed the Green New Deal. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Julian Castro, as you mentioned, Jay Inslee, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren. I'm wondering what they're going to have to do beyond that to earn your endorsement. Yeah, well, right now we're really focused on, in, in 2018, as the primaries unfolding, taking the Green New Deal to every corner of the country and building public support and making it clear that it's a litmus test for any politician seeking the presidency. Um, so they know if, if you want to lead our nation, you need to have a plan to protect life as we know it. And then in, in 2020, we're going to be uniting by the thousands to uh, defeat the fossil fuel billionaires and, and those who aid them. And uh, we're, uh, we're going to be making decisions about if we endorse 
uh, anyone for president in the Democratic primary uh, as things unfold. Uh, where we haven't we haven't made decisions about about if or who we're, we'll be endorsing. Um, at this point, we're we're focused on really pushing them all to to stand up for our generation and, and back a Green New Deal. Yeah, and as I said, uh, you're going to be a big presence at the very first primary uh, debates that are happening over the summer in 2019. So I'm sure your voices will definitely be heard then. Um, Before I let you go, I just want to talk about some of the ways that people listening can get involved. Um, You talked about hubs. And as I mentioned, there are uh, there are, I believe, four currently here in Washington state. And again, there will be a link for people to check out at indivisiblepodcast.org. You also do online leadership training. And then you mentioned at the top of our interview about Sunrise Semester. You're one of the uh, organizers, the developers of Sunrise Semester. Just tell us a little bit more about what that is. Yeah. So we, um, Sunrise Semester, we ran it for the first time this year. We're going to be running it again in 2020. For, from January through through November, so that pe- young people who want to make an impact in the the, the 2020 elections can uh, go all in. So in 2018, there, like I mentioned, there were 75 young people who participated. They lived in movement houses or in supporter housing. So this um, is a residency program, essentially. Yeah, 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 and people got got their food and 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 living expenses covered, so that they could uh, go all in with the movement. And we, like you like you mentioned, we uh, helped 19 candidates win across five key states, and we in total contacted uh, just over a quarter million voters across the country, and we've registered uh, thousands of young people to vote uh, in in key areas that that. That helped to make a difference, and um, we're, we were part of, uh, you know, delivering Democrats the, the House majority this year. So we're looking to to, to do a scaled up version of the program in 2020. Uh, so if anyone, yeah, if anyone listening is is, is excited about you know, going all in to help uh, set our, our country on a on a better track in 2020, mm-hmm. um, definitely definitely should, you should check out Sunrise Semester. If you go to sunrisemovement.org, uh, take action. You can uh, learn all about it. Great. And I will have a link for that as well. Um, you know, this is a movement that is headed by young people. And that, as I said, it makes sense. You guys are the ones who are really going to be faced with living with the worst effects of climate change. But I imagine you are open to attracting people of all ages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. We are, you know, we're a youth led movement. And we think that, like you said, because climate change, we're, our generation is going to be the ones most impacted by climate change. There's a, there's a, a particular story that that we, that we can share and uplift that that we think is really important. Uh, but we know that to you know, young people are only some of the some of the people in this country. And in order to get the rapid change that we need to protect our generation, we need to uh, include people of all ages who are who are also passionate about uh, making uh, making the kinds of changes that we need on this. So we're. Uh, we're, yeah, we're, we definitely are open to people of all ages participating in in, in things like visiting offices, making phone calls, um, donating to support the movement, those sort of things. You are currently talking to a very engaged audience of people who are well-versed in all those sorts of things uh, as part of the yeah. Indivisible movement. And so uh, they know exactly what you're talking about. So Stephen O'Hanlon, thank you so much. Stephen O'Hanlon is one of the co-founders of the Sunrise Project. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for all the work that your listeners are doing. 
On Sunday on 60 Minutes, former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz announced that he is considering running for president as an independent. In response, Indivisible Groups and other grassroots organizations are now planning rallies in cities where Schultz is currently promoting his new book, starting on Thursday evening in Seattle, where Schultz will be at the Moore Theater. And our friend Chris Petzold is responsible for starting all of this uh, good trouble. So uh, let's talk to her about it. Uh, Hey, Chris. Hey there. So I'll let you make the case here. What are we worried will happen if Schultz runs as an independent? I am worried that it will hand us another four years of Donald Trump. And I don't know about you, but that scares the living daylights out of me. Um, And if you look at it from a historical perspective, a third-party candidate always splits the vote. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were talking the other day, going back to all the way back to, you know, Jimmy Carter. uh, That's far back as I can um, really go in my mind, but uh, going, <laughs> when Jimmy Carter was elected, there was a third party, uh, I'm sorry, when he ran for re-election, there was a third party candidate that split the vote. John Anderson, um, that's right, yeah. When Al Gore ran against George W. Bush, uh, Ralph Nader, the third party candidate, took uh, enough votes in Florida that could have tipped the balance, and we all know what happened in Florida and how yeah. close that election was. So, Howard Schultz, don't do it. Uh, I mean, the idea is just yeah. just pick a party and run. Don't use your billions to bypass the primary and caucus system. Just pick a party. Yeah. And I would also mention uh, Jill Stein as the Green Party candidate. And also Gary Johnson may have uh, siphoned off some votes that uh, ultimately led to where we are right now, which uh, I don't think exactly. I have to. Yeah. I don't think I have to put a, a too much of a, a point on that. All right. So. You were the one who, who, as I said, took the initiative to stage this protest in Seattle. So what what was the impetus? Was it, in if not me, then who kind of moment? Yeah, I just thought, wow, we have to do something in Seattle. I heard about his book tour, and I said his hometown has to step forward and, and speak. And what a message that would be if he, he doesn't even have support in his hometown, let alone across the country. So uh, I just thought, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do this. Well, you know, um, a lot of people on Twitter in particular where he's just getting flamed um, are saying that they think that this is a publicity stunt to sell his book. It's just speculation. But what do you think? I don't actually see that. Um, I see he's been very um, outspoken about the issues even when he was CEO. I, I, I actually believe that he's deeply concerned about what's going on as our as are we. I just think he's taking the wrong approach here. Yeah. And I think his ideas about what constitutes uh, the independent vote in this country um, don't really stand up to scientific scrutiny. Uh, Most people who call themselves independent actually are sort of closeted Democrats or Republicans. And so, yeah, an independent candidate will usually peel off uh, a significant portion uh, one direction or the other. So, yeah, so that's like you're saying, that's a danger there. So uh, talk about the event. What's the lineup for the event on Thursday night? Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, So we have Tina Podlodowski from the Washington Democrats. She has been so outspoken. She's um, been everywhere, man. Yeah. Yeah. 
so our great allies in the Democratic Party um, will be there. Uh, we're going to have a union speaker coming to uh, give the labor perspective. And I am so excited about this. We have Jason Reed, who is an Emmy Award winning director of the film Sonic Skate. Uh, and he has some perspective on Howard Schultz also. So, uh. <laughs> there, there's still some scars about how Howard Schultz was responsible for uh, selling off the Sonics to Oklahoma City. So, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so us Sonics fans have uh, some concerns about it from that perspective, too. Yeah. All right. So the, it is starting at 6 p.m. on Thursday, the 31st. Um, it is going to be adjacent to the Moore Theater, but not in front of it, right? Right. There's some scaffolding uh, out in front of the theater. So we're going to be across the street, um, but we'll be in full full view of the, of the theater. And uh, I really encourage everyone uh, to come out for the rally tomorrow. Uh, this is such an important issue. We cannot let this happen and uh, get another four years of Donald Trump. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. And, you know, I should mention that there are rallies now being planned in other cities, including San Francisco and Chicago, uh, two other stops on his book tour. Others are currently shaping up. Um, and yep. it, and I don't know if this is a cause and effect, but Howard Schultz has been shifting his message. Uh, he is now saying that he will not run if he does not have a 100 percent clear path to victory. And then he also said he's not going to decide until 2020. So sounds like the pressure's working, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, how can you not see the backlash? And I thought it was interesting um, on CNN. He said that it was just the party establishment who was coming out so strongly against him. And uh, I beg to differ with that. Yeah, you're not party establishment. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Well, thanks for doing this. Uh, we will uh, we'll see you on Thursday night. OK, thanks. See you out there. And I will mention in passing that I will be emceeing Thursday's event. So do come out and say hi and add your voice because, like I said, I do think the pressure is working. So that will do it for this week's show. For links to everything that we talk about here on this show, you can go to indivisiblepodcast.org. You can also subscribe to the show there, too. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Please do keep the emails coming. I love them. And the Twitter handle is at indivisiblepod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. Thank you again to my guests, Stephen O'Hanlon and Chris Petzold. And as always, thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.